grateful for you guys being a part today. Um, I, I love the, the back row, like making it, like the, making it cool, seeing the back, that's cool. Um, I'll just pretend uh, that everyone's in the, uh, avoiding the front row for this spitting section. That's like the, the splash zone. Uh, but we can go ahead and get started with our message today. We are the right thing, the right thing. And I feel like throughout life, the more that we mature, the more we try to figure out what the right thing is. Uh, and as Christians, there's an idea that we have like the, the Bible to give us a kind of like the standard of what is right, what is wrong. But we, what I've found is Christians often make the right thing really weird. We, we either make the right thing something that's not even biblical, or we, we convince ourselves and others that the right thing that's not biblical should be the right thing. And I think it boils down to what conviction is. And I, today we're going to be talking about developing conviction. Developing conviction. And I want us to really dig in today to, one, set standards of conviction in our own lives that are biblical, that, that are healthy. And I want us to also acknowledge and expose the man-made loopholes and weird convictions that we've created. And let's go to uh, understanding an honest integrity. I want to, uh, today, I want us to unpack the heart of conviction as a whole, and I'm going to teach how to properly form those healthy convictions in your life, and I'm also going to show you how to practically live them out in a reasonable way. As Christians, I want to emphasize reasonable. Um, I want you to use what we talk about today to form godly integrity for your own life as you consider spiritual and practical convictions in your life so that you can experience a resurrected life in Christ. And uh, I, I, really, I really think that so many Christians have not experienced that, that resurrected life. We haven't experienced the abundant life that, uh, that Christ told us about, and we're still living in this place where it's like, well, what am I really getting out of this? What, besides hell insurance, <laughs> Christianity is so much more than that. It's so much more than the idea of hell insurance. And I think that the secret is really adapt, uh, uh, applying convictions to your life. That's how you go from death to life. Is, is really when you take it serious. I think about like a marriage, a relationship. It, it, it could be nice, but it's a marriage that has convictions can be life-giving. And... I feel like so many Christians, we hold these silly while it's at the same time ignoring blatantly godly ones. And it, it makes me think about when I was in ministry school. Uh, when I first gave my life to Christ, I, I wanted to give myself a really good foundation for my faith, you know? And, and so I, I, I found out about this ministry school. It was just like a 10-month-long thing. It was supposed to be like this hardcore school where, where people go to become ministers. It's like, well, I just want to really, like, really get my faith down. Because when I gave my life to Christ, I had a lot of people in my life telling me that it was just a phase. A lot of people telling me, like, oh, that's going to pass. Like, yeah, I went through that when I was a teenager. They, you know, that'll all pass. That'll pass. And I remember just having this thing within myself that was like, and when, when people would tell me, like, yeah, I used to be on fire like you, but yeah, it, it goes away. I remember thinking to myself, what can I do in my life to never lose what I have right now? Because I could acknowledge 
that it was so real and so special. And I don't want to end up like these phonies. <laughs> I don't want to end up like these people that, that are so dead in their faith. I, it was the most important thing in my life, and I wanted it to carry on. So I was like, well, let me go to this ministry school before I do anything else in life. And that way I could have a strong foundation for my faith. And when I got there, I was one of the few kids that wasn't raised in church. In fact, one of my first experience of what church was like. And I found out how weird people can be, especially Christians, how weird Christians can be. And not only did I meet some of the most uh, vile and perverted young men I've ever met in my life, <laughs> but I also met this idea of, of using the word conviction to excuse yourself from sin. It was really weird. See, simple stuff would happen. Like, I'd walk in on someone and see, it was like this, all, everyone would share dorms, these, and they, would, they were called like these you know, little dorm houses, and like four kids into one room. I'm talking about a small room with two bunk beds, and there's only two kitchens and only, uh, only like one restroom among about like 20 to 30 young guys, that, most of them 18 to 23, like very young. And you would occasionally walk in on someone stealing your milk. And I don't know about you, but when, when I got out of high school and I had to buy my own milk, it's like, man, this is expensive. And this was in Louisiana. This is Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And milk, for some reason or another, was like $6 there. And I was like, man, this is, this is, this is like liquid gold. You can't just be taking milk. And I would, I'd walk in on someone either stealing milk, they'd be stealing someone's like pancake mix, and it was just like, what are you doing? I thought we were supposed to be Christians. It seems like something silly. But when someone would get caught in the act, you know what they would say? Well, it's okay because I don't feel convicted about it. <laughs> and see, I, I thought that was the weirdest thing I ever heard. Is like, well, it's okay because I don't feel convicted about it. Like, it doesn't matter if you don't feel bad about it. <laughs> You're stealing milk. It's stealing. It's thievery. What are you talking about? But see, we, we create these these ideas, these loopholes that we use scripture where Paul talks about convictions and he says, he's talking about whether or not you feel as a Christian like you're convicted about eating pork or convicted about, uh, about doing these religious customs that are, that are in a sense like these gray areas. Like you, you could use, you could go with or without. And he's saying to each their own conviction. If you feel like eating pork is a sin to you, if you think that eating food sacrificed to an idol is, is sin for you, then it is sin. Go by your, stick to your convictions. But if for someone else, if they don't feel convicted for eating food sacrificed to an idol, that's no God at all, it's just food to them, then let, let them each stick to their own convictions. And people took those verses and they're like, oh, well, that also applies to stealing. <laughs> That, that also applies to, to fornication. That also applies to lying and, and adultery. And see, we start using that to try to discredit things that are clear in Bible, that are obvious in Scripture. And that's why I think that we need to have kind of like this reset moment as Christians and really evaluate what it is that we believe in. I, I, I think that all Scripture is inspired by God. All of it, from, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. And I think that every verse has meaning and purpose. And so I think that is, is very toxic or dangerous to start misconstruing one verse 
to make room for yourself to do something you'd want to do even though you know that it's wrong. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So let's talk about developing convictions. Let's first by look at the heart of what convictions are. It, convictions are loyally bound. Loyally bound. Conviction is seen in your loyalty to what you believe in. That's the best way I can describe what a conviction is. Is being loyal to what you believe in. That's what a conviction is. And I want to share this verse in James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything that they do. And this is a really powerful verse about conviction. James is emphasizing that conviction is about loyalty to what you believe in. And when we think about loyalty, what I think about is a marriage. I always, I feel like, maybe it's just because I'm married, I, I relate a lot of things to marriage, but I feel like conviction is a lot like marrying that belief. And within marriage, it's for better or for worse. You, you follow it. Yeah, but what, what about when it's hard? What about when you're faced with a difficult decision? Are you going to choose to follow that conviction even though it's difficult? See, for better or for worse. And conviction is really based in what you believe to be true and moral. Moral is the idea of something being right or wrong. And for morality... You have to understand that this is like a philosophical ideology. Morality, for it to be subjective, meaning that if it's just based off of how you feel, then your conviction will always change. But if it's objective, that means that it's just, it's an absolute, it's universal, then that means your convictions won't change because your morals don't change dependent on your circumstances, your situation, or how you feel that day. And again, I feel like that's exactly what marriage is supposed to be. And for better or for worse. And it's ironic that in our culture, our culture continuously projects the very opposite of that. Our culture uh, in the world says that there is no truth. The, a very popular belief today is that truth is relative. Meaning that if that's true for you, then it's true. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all heard that? It, truth is just relative. Truth is relative to each individual. And I want you to just think for a minute. Is that true? <laughs> See, that's what's called a self-defeating statement. It's projecting that there is no truth. Well, if that would mean it has to be a truth. See, relative, relativism does not work in the real world. It does not work in society because it, it, it will always be defeated by itself. It's a self-defeating ideology. And the other thing that the world teaches, you should just do what feels good. You just do what feels good. If, it's okay. If you feel convicted about it one day, well, maybe you just change and it's just, it shouldn't be a conviction for you anymore because you feel differently now. See, that's just going by whatever feels good. And I can't think of one healthy thing in someone's personal life that happens from just doing what feels good. In fact, everything good and meaningful in someone's personal life only comes about 
from self-discipline and even depriving oneself of doing something that they want to do. We were just talking about this morning about how much we love sweets. I mean, when, I don't know about you, but when I think about like, okay, I'm going to just have one Oreo. Just one. And I, everything in me is like, just one. You don't need to have more than that, Homer. And I eat one and I'm like, I just started salivating. It's so like, let me just have one more. And it's, and it's like the way my mind works, it just convinces me to just keep going. It's like, it starts getting intricate. The way that I start thinking like, man, let me just have one more. Not even for the taste, but just the way that it crumbles apart in my mouth. That's what I want to experience. It's just like, it starts just trying to convince me more and more. It's like, well, what if, I really just, now it's just an experiment. I want to see how much longer I can hold it in the milk and if it's going to change the taste. And see, I'm just like, I just keep following this path and it destroys me. It destroy, it's the most self-destructive path. And it's same for Oreos, for donuts, for cinnamon rolls, for anything. It's like, man, if I just give in to what I want, I lose myself. <laughs> I lose myself. I lose what I really want. I, I want that Beach Bob dad, right? <laughs> I want to be that Beach Bob dad that, that, that's why just irresistible to his wife. But if I continue down this path of just going whatever feels good, I'll never get <laughs> to what I really want. See, I, I'm being funny, but I'm serious. No matter what it is, anything good and meaningful in your life only comes about from discipline, from holding truth to conviction. So if we throw off, we need to throw off this ideology that we should just do whatever feels good. It's just toxic. It's, it's self-defeating. It is going to destroy your life. And we need to understand that tr what truth is and hold that truth to our hearts and allow convictions to really be formed within us because only then will you be able to experience that from death to life moment within your faith and even in other areas of your life. I mean, talk about marriage. A good, healthy marriage isn't built by just happenstance. It's by convictions, by holding true to strong values with each other, even when it doesn't feel good. Now, now that we understand the heart of conviction and how it's about being loyal to what you believe in, let's talk about biblically sound. Conviction is only complicated when you're looking for loopholes. That's good, right? Conviction is only complicated when you're looking for loopholes. I, I want us to understand that so much of Scripture tells us, talks to us about conviction. Look at John 16, verse 8. It says, when He comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. See, the conviction itself, this inner knowing, this inner belief, it is part of the foundations of our faith. It's like even the idea of why Jesus died on the cross, it, it's, it was for this conviction of knowing the coming judgment of the world. And he did it so that we would not be judged in the world, but that we would be saved through grace. It, this idea of being convicted, the, the, the world being convicted of its sin. I mean, how many times in your life were you doing something that was hurting someone else or that was wrong without even knowing that was wrong? The most hilarious, adorable thing that my daughter Joy says when I get at her is like, hey, don't do that. Don't, don't hit your brother in the head. Don't write on his face. You know what she says? I just didn't know. <laughs> she just throws her on black. I just didn't know. <laughs> and 
it's it's so cute but i'm just like dog you knew like <laughs> come on <laughs> you knew but even if she didn't know once once that that word is spoken to her and say well we do not slap our brother in the face we do not draw on our face we don't do that oh i just didn't know now well now you know now you know and see that is what the holy spirit does for us is is this conviction when it brings conviction it shows us what is right and wrong for our lives and it's so that we can grow to life and life abundantly so that we can know our creator to know jesus conviction isn't about just trying to be this perfect person it's not about trying to uh, uh, arrive at holiness it's the real purpose of it is so that you can connect more to your creator so that you could truly connect with jesus i mean that's a, a real relationship that has conviction the other thing about, about conviction is that the bible's job is to clarify and support convictions so the holy spirit comes to where it wrote the ten commandments on the inside of our heart the bible says that that we know the commandments inside of our heart because the holy spirit wrote them there and so we we know from a very young age that lying is wrong it's it's amazing to me that with each of my kids the first time that they lied one i was shocked that they they caught on so quickly i didn't even have to teach them but whenever i ask them about it they get real nervous how did they know that lying was wrong why when i ask them are you pretending because they, they don't know the right word for lying like are you just pretending they're like um uh why would they get nervous unless deep down they knew that it was wrong when they did it it's because God, the Holy Spirit, wrote those convictions on our heart, the Ten Commandments. And the Bible's job is to clarify those things. Of when you feel that ooga booga feeling, when you feel like something's right or wrong, the Bible is there to clarify and support convictions so that we don't make things weird. I, I want to share this verse in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. See, the Bible is supposed to be this tool for us. That's why even when it's described as the armor of God in Scripture, the Bible is a sword. It's the one piece of God, uh, the armor that is used at, within someone's hand used to as a tool in some way and for us to understand that if we want to know if a conviction is biblical that means we actually have to know what's in the bible yes like pastors and teachers can help us but how often in our history have pastors and teachers misled people to do wrong while using scripture to confirm it you see they use the, the devil used scripture to manipulate in order to do what it was wrong in the same way teachers and people today can use scripture to lay others to do what was wrong look at what was it the conquistadors those were who were killing and slaughtering in the name of the church was that biblical no god the bible clearly says to love those who hate you it didn't say go and and kill them all it's not what it's saying and so but because people didn't have access to scripture they were manipulated because for the lack of knowledge people perish we have the bible access 
We have full access to Scripture today. You is actually correct or not, unless you were to read Scripture yourself. I could be just misleading you. I could manipulate you. And just because you have a desire to know God, if you don't take the tools to truly know Him yourself, you're going to be dependent on me. And I could abuse that power. That's why you have to equip yourself by reading Scripture yourself. I'm not saying you have to be an expert of Scripture, but just be knowledgeable. Just read it, and, and you'll know the Holy Spirit will teach you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit Himself will teach you to where you can read Scripture, and, and it will make things clearer to you. It will help support your conviction. I want to share one last verse. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, For the, this kind of sorrow, the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience, leads away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. See, that word repentance, it means to change direction. It means to change direction. And this scripture is simply saying, to feel sorry for something is one thing, but real repentance, real sorrow shows repentance. Means that, oh, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. See, that, that's, that's the part with my daughter is like, she says, I just didn't know. But then when she does it again, immediately after I said, don't do that, she could stuff her sorries in a sack, right? You know, what's funny is that I literally thought of that saying like three days ago, stuff your sorries in a sack. And I thought that, I haven't heard that in so long. I need to use that soon. And it just kind of flowed right now. It just fit in perfect, I felt like. Uh, anyway. <laughs> but be, her sorries become less meaningful. When she starts saying, if she even starts crying, say, I just didn't know. I don't, I don't buy it anymore. Because now she knows. And see, it's the repentance. It's the change of direction. The change of nature that makes the sorry meaningful. And in the same way for our lives, conviction is literal and tangible. So often, we as Christians, we, we try to over-spiritualize practical stuff. And I feel like so often Christians will, will try to make something sound extra spiritual in order to avoid it being practical. And conviction is just literal. It's literal. It's tangible. It, it's like the idea of... of of someone, if someone were to come up to you and say, look, I'm not one to gossip, but I just thought you should know this. See, that's, that's over-spiritualized. It says, don't gossip, don't do that. But when we over-spiritualize it, like, look, I just feel like we should pray for them. And it's like, deep down, they just want to share some stuff. They just want to, they want to get it out. But they over-spiritualize it. It's like, I, just, I feel like we should... I just like wanted you to know so that we could pray about it together and just keep them on your mind, you know? Keep them on your heart. And it's like, no, dog, that conviction is, is real. Conviction is tangible. We don't have to overcomplicate it. it it's not a form of energy. It's not, it's not a form of thinking, uh, but it's, it's really of decisions directly connected to a belief. It's as simple as that. And so... Now that we understand the biblical nature to conviction, we understand the Holy Spirit's job is to bring about and direct us in conviction, and the Bible's job is to clarify and support those convictions. 
So many times as a pastor, people are like, I just feel like, I feel like God is telling me this. And I'm just like, that's not biblical though. That's, in fact, that's unbiblical. That's heresy. Well, I just feel like that's what God told me. It doesn't matter what you feel like God told you. If it's not biblical, then it's not God. And, and see, that's why it goes back to conviction. If, if you have a conviction about the word of God, nothing can change that. No matter how you feel, what you think, the Bible is the Bible. It, it's it's Y'all dig that? It doesn't matter about feelings. It's what the, the Bible's job is to clarify and support those convictions to see if they're really convictions or they're just ideas or feelings that we have at the moment. Now, let's go into one last thing. That is, that conviction is emotionally grounded. So we talked about how it's spiritually bound or loyally bound. We talked about how it's biblically sound. And now we're talking about how it's emotionally grounded. Conviction doesn't excuse reactionary behavior. Conviction doesn't excuse reactionary behavior. Now this is, I feel like, a really practical thing about conviction that Christians need to learn. Because Christians, we have this, we have this passion often for God that when we feel like we're convicted with something, we just we allow that passion, that zeal, to lead our decisions even in unhealthy ways. So we're, we excuse our reactionary behavior, even our emotions, because, well, I just felt convicted about this, so I'm going to just do it. I'm going to just say this. I'm going to just do that. And I want us to just take a moment to imagine that conviction is not just this unbridled passion that knocks back anyone in the way. See, this is, this is a really good verse. This is a really good story. In Matthew chapter 21, oh, don't look at that. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have the right verse. It, it's uh, John. Uh, oh, never mind. It was Matthew. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. See? I was wrong. I, I could have misled you guys right there. <laughs> I'm just joking. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 through 13, this is a really popular story. It says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he said to them, The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. That's passion, right? See, he's convicted about what the church is supposed to be. And what I've seen is a lot of Christians use this verse as an excuse to be rude, as an excuse to be mean. To just knock people down. Well, you know what? Jesus, he whipped people in the, in the temple for selling doves. And so I can do that too. It's like, man, with the minute that you compare yourself to Jesus, you need to do an ego check. All right? <laughs> Let's, I want us to understand that if we were to just look at one gospel, one story, it gives us a picture. But see, this is why it's so important to read all of Scripture. See, in Matthew, in Luke... And in John, it, it shares this portion of what happened here. But in the book of Mark, it shows the before. And I think that it's so important to understand the full story. Because it gives us a much deeper look. It gives us much more understanding. In the same way, when you look at all of Scripture, when you look at a single verse, like, that hits. Yeah, that's good. But when you look at the whole passage, you're like, oh, I didn't even know I was trying to say that. 
Then you look at the book that it was referring to, the other book of the Bible, and you're like, oh, dang, so this is like a chronological thing. And then you realize that the whole Bible is, is all painting this, this full story that works together, and it, it becomes so much more comprehensible. See, he knocked over all these things, and what was happening, I want to make clear what's happening in this story, too. What was the way that these people, that the, the, uh, the people of Israel would offer forgiveness for their sins is that they would have to sacrifice animals. So they would go to the temple and when they would make sacrifices for, it was for their guilt offerings, their sin offerings. And what happened was, is that the people working within the temple became a marketplace in the sense of someone would bring a lamb and then the, the, the merchant would say, oh, that's, that's not an acceptable sacrifice. It has a defect. Look at the hoof right here. I'm going to have to confiscate this. You can't use that to sacrifice to God. You've got to give God your best. Here, you could buy this perfect. This one is a much better lamb for you to sacrifice. Buy this one. And they already confiscated the other one because it's forbidden. You can't sacrifice a, a lamb with a blemish. So they sell the new one, and then to the next person, they do the same thing, and they sell the land they just confiscated. See, it was a literal uh, uh, thieves. They were literal. They, they, they were literally stealing from the people and using God's temple as a marketplace, as a, a shady one at that. So now let's look at what the, verse, this, the full story says. See, I think that when we look at the full story, we see that Jesus actually took time to consider his decisions amongst his passions and convictions. In the book of Mark, it says this. In Mark 11, 11, that's kind of like spooky, right? <laughs> 11, 11, that's like make a wish time. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. And then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. So we see in this verse that he was in Jerusalem. He was in the temple. He looked at everything happening. He looked at how they were behaving. He looked at how they were stealing. They, he looked at everything that made him mad and he didn't do anything. And it says, then he left. And look what it says. It goes on to say, the next morning. So he went there, hot minute, looking around, just observing. And it's kind of like, you know, whenever someone's not saying anything, you're, you're like, hey, is everything okay? Like, mm-hmm. All the disciples are like, you cool? <laughs> the next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry and he noticed a fig tree and full leaf a little way off. And so they're on their way back to Jerusalem. They're on their way back to the temple. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. And then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say, and in other passages we see that this tree, this tree withered, that this tree died after Jesus spoke that to it. And I always wondered for years, it's just a tree, dude. Like, why do that? Why, why, take, why go out of your way? It's like, it's one thing, it's like, oh man, there's no fruit. It's like, may no one ever eat your fruit again. <laughs> and see, for so long, for years, I didn't understand would have so much emotion and passion in this. But see, this is what happens right before he goes back to the temple. See, he took the whole night to think about it. 
And the next verse says, When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. So he's on his way back. He took the whole night to sleep on it. You ever heard that saying? Like, just sleep on it. See how you feel in the morning. Jesus took all night to sleep on it, get a, a fresh perspective the next, day, the next day. And as they're walking, he's just thinking. You ever be driving and just, you're just still thinking? And he's just zoned out thinking. And, and they stop and he sees this tree. And as he's looking at it, it's reminding him of the temple. So he's seeing all of this this fluff. He's seeing all the show. But there's no real fruit on this tree. It reminds him of the temple. It reminds him that this was supposed to be a spiritual place where people meet God, but it's turned into this just fluffy show. And he's starting to get passion. That passion is rising up. And it's, it's almost like at that moment where he's with that tree is where he makes his decision. He says, may no one eat your fruit again. And then he goes directly to the temple. He says, may no one buy from you again. See, he has all that passion. He knocked over the tables of the money changers, the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He stopped everyone from using a place where people were supposed to meet God as a place for a show. And I love how this, this last verse says, it says, He said to them, The scriptures declare my temple will be called the house of prayer of all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. This passion that Jesus has, it's, it's derived from this conviction in his heart. And even in this scenario, he was so passionate and so convicted about how it was wrong. The minute he saw it, he knew that it was wrong. You're talking about Jesus. He knew that it was wrong the minute he saw it from the first time. And if Jesus takes a day to think about it, a day to consider it, a journey to consider on his way as he's thinking to where he makes a final decision of what he's going to do is action. How much more should we consider our convictions like that? If it's going to affect other people, if it's going to be saying something that might be controversial, maybe you should take a day to consider and pray and see if that's really God leading you or is it just your emotions? See, Jesus does that. And I want us to really grasp that conviction. It does not give any Christian the right to be a crazy person. You know what I have to tell people when I tell people that I'm a pastor? Usually people are literally taking me like, like, oh. And I have to reassure them like, oh, it's okay. I'm not like a psychopath. <laughs> and you know what they do? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> because we have excused our behavior and like, well, it's because I'm convicted about it. It does not... The Bible says that we'll be persecuted because of our faith in Christ. It doesn't say that we'll be persecuted for being obnoxious. We need conviction strongly in our lives. And there's, there's a, I feel like so often we have held back from developing conviction as Christians because we didn't want to become one of those psychopaths. I hope that with this last story you can see that you can be a reasonable person, a reasonable person of faith with deep root that changes your life. And when you live out these convictions 
correctly in a healthy way, not only does it change your lives, but it helps change the lives of others. You actually are able to make a difference in the world when you hold true to conviction. With that being said, I want us to take a moment to bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here today and you feel like the biggest thing weighing on your heart, you're feeling that tug, you're feeling like this developing conviction of Jesus being Lord and Savior, but you've never made a decision for yourself. You've never made a clear decision on a clear day where you made a decision to put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you realize this conviction, and you want to do that here today, with every head bowed and eye closed. If that is you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. So just there to yourself, I want you to talk to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to talk to Jesus and have your own conversation with him. Because the Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. Saying is if you have a genuine heart and talk to him yourself. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can talk to him yourself. And now when you do that, it says surely you shall be saved. It's saying as soon as you have that conversation with him, start this journey with him, this relationship with him. So if that's you, I want you to just take time to do that. And for the rest of you, if you're here and you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about developing conviction in your own life. And this was just what you needed here. If that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see all your hands. So now I'm going to pray for you. God, I pray that you finish what you started in these people, that you develop the convictions you're putting on their hearts, and that you help them to follow through, for better or for worse, and that you just help them to be steadfast and courageous with whatever it is that you're leading them to do. And I pray that you make them sensitive to your Holy Spirit and that you bless them for saying yes to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So with that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. But before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. Have a good life.